Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the beautiful Marionette Theater in Spud Flats, New York. Tonight, we're getting together for our 15th episode, one five. We're almost old enough to leave home. Can you imagine? Get out those snow bunny outfits and your Jackie O sunglasses. We're heading for the slopes. This time, the boys are looking at a movie that's got my name written all over it. A movie full of romantic European destinations, corporate espionage, and a little hard to get American songbird. Doris Day, who takes a turn at sleuthing. Hot on her heels is an Irish-born aspiring leading man ages before he cast a spell on his fans. Richard Harris! It's time for 20th Century Fox's Caprice! Hit it, boys! What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of the golden oldies. And a smidgen of streaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Good evening, Mr. Smelly. How are you this fine night? Good evening, Mr. DJ. You know, Mother's Day is just around the corner. Is, is it really? It is. And I was wondering, perchance... Does Sweet Mama enjoy the uh, the talents of America's songbird Doris Day by chance? I think so. Definitely not uh, not as as much as she loves her Barbara Streisand, but uh, she she liked Doris Day. Oh well, tonight we are discussing a film that came out in 1967, and the stars as Richard Harris, her leading man. So, uh, a very young looking Harris. Yes. So, uh, before we begin the discussion of tonight's film, we set the stage as it were. And, uh, actually let's go ahead and see who is joining us here tonight. If you will, Mr. Smelly. Yeah. Uh, we're going to say hi to spanking B. Arthur of Chubb's gone wild. And Spanking B. Arthur, and uh, anything else he's doing these days. <laughs> we also have our pal in the chat room. So welcome, guys. Uh, always happy to see you here. Now, much like the, the uh, title of tonight's movie, Caprice, we have uh, a picture in the chat room. Uh, Spanking B. Arthur has been kind enough to, uh, well, share... What someone might be wearing when they go to the French countryside, a pair of capris, those nice walking shorts. And, uh, you know, at the candy shop, we're not allowed to wear shorts. It's against the dress code. But if they just happen to go below the knee, we call them capris. And that is loud. Ridiculous. Yeah. So, okay. Well, let's go ahead and put you in the mindset of what was going on in the world. The world in 1967. In 60 seconds or so. So, first off, Ronald Reagan, a Hollywood star, first became governor of California in 67. The 25th Amendment was, uh, which 
put the VP next in command if something should happen to the president is ratified by Congress. Joseph Stalin, the communist leader from Russia, his daughter defects to the U.S. via the U.S. Embassy in India. The first Boeing 737, which lately there have been recalls on for safety purposes, took flight in 67. Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, married Priscilla in Las Vegas. U.S. Supreme Court tried Loving versus Virginia, the case that declared that anti-racial or anti-interracial marriage laws were unconstitutional throughout the land. And actress Jane Mansfield was killed in a car accident that year. Uh, if you're a fan of Tu Wong Fu, another pop culture film, when they're admiring the rental car, they say, Ooh, Jane Mansfield, not a good auto reference. Uh, and then lastly, Thurgood Marshall became the first African-American Supreme Court Justice in 1967. So, now we move on to the wee ones. Who did uh, the stork bring to us that's uh, maybe been part of film and television, maybe music, up to this day? And in 1967, we have a, uh, a rock musician. One of my sister Ronnie's favorites, Dave Matthews, entered the world. We also have the now late Kurt Cobain, who is also a musician, the uh, the news anchor uh, personality and do- uh, son of Gloria Vanderbilt, Anderson Cooper, joined the world in 1967, and then a handful of other folks. We have uh, ex-wife of Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, who's important in her own right, Many films that I've enjoyed, including Bewitched with Will Ferrell. Not a lot of people care for that, but I love The Underdog. And in speaking of Will Ferrell, he also joined the world in 67. And then Mr. Vin Diesel, who was in action films. And then lastly, possibly uh, one of Mr. Smelly's favorites, we have Philip Seymour Ooh. Hoffman. Oh, you know, I did dig, I did dig Philip. A terribly untimely death yes. to offer us. And so now that we've talked about what was going on in the world, we're going to talk a little bit about what was the competition, what it was, el- what else was in theaters. I'll, I'll just say one thing, DJ. Uh, the competition smashed Caprice. <laughs> we could definitely say that. It certainly did. Now, uh, in theaters in '67. The top-grossing film was *The Graduate*, and uh, I'm trying to remember the star of that film. My apologies, Mr. Smelly. Do you remember? Hoffman. *The Graduate*. Dustin Hoffman, and of course, playing the older woman was um, what's her face? <laughs> Come on, we know who she is. Why am I? Dustin Hoffman and Anne Bancroft. Anne Bancroft. Oh. Yes, one of my favorites. Uh, sadly, I didn't uh, catch on to Miss Bancroft's talents until her last film, which was, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's its a Thanksgiving film that Auntie Vera loves to talk about, or at least loved to when she had a show. But moving on. Before, no, before you move on, uh-huh. Gigi, there's an important thing to, to mention. 
this is just how fate works, folks. Especially when your husband is in control of your finances <laughs> and your career, as mm. Doris Day's husband was at this time. Uh, so, uh, Doris Day ended up making Caprice, which she didn't even know she was making because nobody told her, including her husband, Agent, doing this movie. She sort of accidentally found out. Uh, uh, but here's the big thing. Uh, one of the roles that uh, her husband turned down for her was Anne Bancroft's role, graduate. So imagine that, if you will, <laughs> if Doris Day had appeared, the woman in The Graduate, because that could have happened. Oh, my goodness. Certainly. She was up for the role. Hmm. Let's see. So I'm just looking real quickly here at Anne Bancroft's um, acting credits. And it was a, a movie with Holly Hunter. Actually, it wasn't absolutely her last film but one of her last films called home for the holidays oh people love that movie i have a copy and it's 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 almost better than visiting family because it spares you the time you lose um Ah. (laughs) she was uh the mother in torch song trilogy um the teacher in the story of helen keller called do, do, do. The Miracle Worker? What it, the Miracle Worker, thank you, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, The Graduate was the top-ranking film of 67. It brought in $39 million. That was followed up with a few other notable films, which included a personal favorite with Catherine Hepburn, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? That was number three that year. It brought in $25 million. And uh, I do believe that that might have been one of the earliest roles for Sidney Poitier. Uh, it, it, it was early, but uh, he had quite, he had, if not more, movies uh, before. And I do believe that in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the actress playing Catherine Hepburn's daughter is actually her real-life daughter. Ooh, I don't think that's true. No? But it might, uh, okay. Never well, have... I I never heard that. I never heard that. If she didn't play her daughter, I think she was at least in the cast. I if that's true, I I'm amazed uh, because I I didn't know that. I, I we'll just throw a little minutiae around your way here, folks. Uh, just hang tight. Google it. <laughs> he's getting out the goggles folks let's see so we also have in addition to guest who's coming to dinner number four that year was dirty dozen and that brought in 20 million and uh just a handful of other notable films i'll just read those off we don't have the books here but such notable films as Bonnie and Clyde came out that year, which I've been reading that Bonnie and Clyde was one of those films that considered to be the beginning of a new era in Hollywood. The way that storytelling and filmmaking was being done changed about that time. So Bonnie and Clyde is considered one of the first examples of new Hollywood at that time. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, this is a perfect example of the change. Caprice, old Hollywood. That's the movie we're talking about tonight. The Graduate, I knew Hollywood. The, uh, incredibly different. Incredibly different. Mm-hmm. And out that same year, 67, some of our cast was a little busier than others. Uh, Mr. Richard Harris 
Darth Day's co-star in Caprice also appeared in another film in 67. He played in Camelot. And uh, he it's a it's a known fact that Mr. Richard Harris was a Shakespearean actor. So this was right in his wheelhouse, and uh, yes, and and uh, famously known to have said that uh, he hated Caprice, <laughs> and he never watched it. Eagle, but luckily that year he had one of his greatest uh, that was very long lived and that's uh king arthur so just a couple of other titles in 67 and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty here folks we had casino royale right in that same vein of uh, espionage it's a 007 story and of course it's since been remade in more recent years and we had cool hand luke also dr doolittle which starred rex harrison which a little known fact a member of the cast of caprice mr edward mulher that we'll talk about a little more later was famous for playing roles that were originated by rex harrison so uh, and then lastly, another film that came out in 67 that I will admit I, I, I'm guilty. I enjoyed it. Nowadays, we would consider it to be horribly racist. It was a film with Julie Andrews and Margot Kidder, thoroughly modern Millie. Yeah, I've never seen it. Don't know a thing about it. Oh, boy. There, there are some moments in that film. Um, basically, they have very racist portrayals of people of Asian descent. And at the time, it was considered okay because a member of their cast was of Asian descent and was considered their authority on the subject. And uh, sadly, it was Mr. Pat Morita who went on to do many other great things. And he's been known to go down in history as the consultant. He was asked, is this okay that we're doing this in this film? It's not too racist, in it, is it? And of course, in sixty in the 67, he said, oh, no, play it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, DJ in the chat room, <clears throat> uh, Tommy has posted uh, a photo with uh, Doris Day's. And uh, this is a picture of her definitely from the 50s scene. Yeah, Tommy's uh, hobbies is um, those signatures. It appears to be a beach scene. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of beach movies done in the 50s and 60s, like Frankie and Annette. And uh, Beach Blanket Bingo, of course, is one of those. And some might say that by, uh, you know, the standards of uh, of performing and uh, crossing the genres of doing music and film, that um, in her time, Doris Day might have been considered sort of like a Beyonce of today. She did so many movies and she had so many albums and you know by the time that it got to be her later years she had done so much that people wondered where she was when she once she retired from public life because she had so much material out there yeah um had kind of a sudden retirement it was right after her tv show once that was done she was kind of done so let's get into the cast we have miss doris day that we were just talking about and uh she had 
37 acting roles prior to Caprice, the film that we're discussing tonight. And there were seven alone just in the past five years prior to this. She had had one. After Caprice, she only did maybe three more movies, maybe only two more movies. So Caprice is right at the end of her film career. And, uh, you know, what? it stands to reason that it probably had something to do with those little secret deals going on behind the scenes there. Because as Toppy was telling you, uh, she had a few movie deals that had been signed by her later ex-husband, who was also her manager at the time. And I was reading about this film, Caprice, and uh, one of the things that was said was that upon reading the script for Caprice, Doris Day said, oh, I'm so glad we don't have to do things like that anymore. To which her husband at the time said, what do you mean? We're signed to a contract. (laughs) Yeah, surprise. That's how she found out about it. Even her TV series, uh, The Doris Day Show, which was lasted for four or five seasons, she didn't know that. She did not know she was signed to do a TV series. Mm. Had to honor it. She had to do it. It, The TV series came at maybe the best and worst time of her life. Her husband had just passed away. She discovered that she was penniless because her husband had squandered and misspent and just completely mismanaged her. She only finds this out after he passes and she realized not only does she is she not have a penny to her name she's deeply in debt but uh, the television series comes along she didn't she's forced to do it uh, at the worst time in her life and yet the television series to financial solvency so she was glad she was doing it see now Doris Day actually is uh, still with us she just recently celebrated a birthday on April 22nd now 87. Yes. Now, uh, not many folks know this, but everyone talks about how Betty White is America's treasure. Well, Betty and Doris are actually both the same age. They both turned 97 this year. So now, uh, of course, unfortunately, um, some people have better luck and love than others. And while Betty White has been a widow since the 80s and uh, had a, quite a long marriage with her last husband, poor Miss Day, she had four failed marriages. So that's oh, enough to put someone off of public life. Yeah, and famously, the one thing she wanted more than anything, like more than a career in music and movies wanted to be was a mother and a wife he wanted more than anything yeah so she never got it now what uh, doris was usually one of the top 10 singers between 1951 and 1966 and as an actress she became the biggest female star in the 19 the early 1960s she was ranked sixth among the box office performers by the year 2012 and she's considered one of the last surviving stars of the golden age of hollywood and uh just to, to finish out on doris uh she was the recipient of the grammy lifetime achievement award and in 2004, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by pres- then-President George W. Bush. And folks, Doris Day was a box office sensation at the top of her game. She had songs, and she was a real going thing. Um, right up, uh, 
you know, her career peaked uh, in the early 60s. You know, I mean, what would she be the equivalent today of uh, who's who's got a star, you know, like that today? I can't even think of somebody. Gosh, I, I, I don't get to the movies that often. And I, I, you know, I'm certainly not of the generation where I listen to what's current uh, on charts. <laughs> but I, I think that if we were to liken it to somebody, uh, you know, of more recent days, someone like Beyonce might fit the bill because, you know, she's got she's had several albums and she does appearances. In fact, she was in one of the Austin Powers. Maybe that might do it. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I mean, she she was considered the girl next door. America's Virgin. They even had a label like that for her. That was a kind of a big. Um, she had to endure that label, America's Ugh. Virgin. Um, uh, so she was, uh, you know, she was a huge deal, a huge star. So along with uh, Doris J, we have Mr. Richard Harris. And Mr. Harris was born in Ireland, and his first U.S. film was 1959's Shake Hands with the Devil. He also starred alongside Sean Connery, Mr. 007 himself, in the 1970s film A Man Called Horse. And uh, as Toppy was saying, he hated Capri so much that he's apparently never saw. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so he's uh, quite a bit younger, Doris Day, and uh, he he's done a couple things uh, before, just before, and and did a couple things just after that that made him quite famous. Caprice was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, uh, uh, we should. Um, Dare we try to describe the plot? Well, uh, would you let me see here? Um, I think we have. Do we, we have a trailer? Would you like to play that? <clears throat> oh, excellent idea! Excellent idea! Play the trailer. Okay. <laughs> now, just try it. It's nice. Come, Christopher. Oh, you're rushing me. I always wait at least an hour after eating. Caprice. Oh, whimsical. Perfume. Does it swing? It's a swinging bed. And it swings Doris Day and Richard Harris into a whirlpool of color, danger, and love. Caprice. Ski. Or spying. Caprice is uh, it's unpredictable. Take off your trousers. Doris may have a whim for love, but she has a terrific talent for danger. Is that what he wants you to find out? That's why you've been asking me all these questions today. Matt Cutter sent you to spy on me, didn't he? You're gonna have access to all kinds of uh, secret information working in my plan. Now, I wouldn't employ you if I thought you couldn't be trusted. Well, don't just stand there. Don't you realize the enormity of your crime? Richard Harris has a whim for danger. But has a wonderful talent for women. 
I come out of this alive, I'm going back to the CIA where it's safe. Caprice is a gun with a silencer. Caprice is a girl in a strange bed. Caprice is a skier in black. Caprice is a stab in the back. Caprice is a bugged sugar cube. Caprice is a wild helicopter ride. Caprice is a cliffhanger. Caprice is Doris Day on the land. And remember, it swings. Caprice. Whoa. So you could see that they were trying to sell this movie on multiple levels. And keep in mind, at this time, what was popular? Eyes were popular. James Pond was popular. On TV, it was Man from Uncle. And a bunch of other spy shows. I Spy with... Uh, and spies were big. So they thought they had a sure hit on their plate with this one. Um, because it... It was essentially a spy story that um, had elements of, of an action film. There are action sequences in this movie uh, where you feel Doris Day is in jeopardy. Uh, there are goofy slapstick moments in this movie where <laughs> is doing very strange things. Just for example, folks, in the in the trailer, it says Doris stays uh, in, a, in a helicopter and the helicopter on the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> That's the slapstick. And at the same time, they, had, they were trying to do serious action. It was a really mix. Yeah, I mean, uh, imagining the person in that part there, of course, whenever you think about a movie, if you, you know, you really want to delve into the trivia, you want to, uh, you know, talk about who made this and what was their vision. And certainly when, uh, you know, we think about what else was out in theaters that year, and we were talking about The Graduate with Anne Bancroft and how that that could have been Doris Day in The Graduate. Now, honestly, I'm not sure which I would believe more, Doris Day in The Graduate or in Bancroft in Caprice, you know? It's intermission time, folks. This means it's good a uh, good time to go fill your glass and uh, and we'll be back. Caprice, a whimsical perfume changes as it drifts across the room. Just a lark, a no. That carries um, <laughs> now, I could see that Ann Bancroft might fit the bill a little more in the, in the terms of uh, pushing the envelope and getting some stares. Now, uh, of course, this, I don't want to come off as chauvinist or ageist, but they say that in traditional Hollywood, there were three roles for women to play. They were either the wife, the girlfriend, or is it the mistress? Toppy, are you there, Toppy? The, 
Can you hear me? Yeah. So is uh, in traditional Hollywood, they say that women typically had three roles to play based upon their ages, and that was the wife, the girlfriend, or the mistress. Am I right? Really speaking? So, um, you know, I would think that maybe Anne Bancroft might have been more suited to be, you know, the mistress or the girlfriend. But of course, Doris Day had that wholesome image. So I could see where if she was presented with... With this script, although it was a little exciting, it's it's not really her her avenue. You know, it, it, nobody thinks about going to a movie and seeing Doris Day laying out on the beach. Not even so much like you would Annette, you know, in a One Piece. <laughs> right, and um, I'm not even sure she knew she was up for this movie. That's how badly her her agent slash husband was at honest with her. And I I really have a hard time thinking Doris Day would have said yes to that movie. But if she had, can you think of you know casting against type? And what could possibly have been like just a career-changing role? It it could have brought her the new movie-making scene, which Caprice certainly did not, even though it tried really hard to be hip and swinging. <laughs> oh, they love the sweat. Oh, this movie is swinging, and it. Oh yeah, but uh, you know, it's a totally. I mean, it 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 at once it tries to be hip and mod and new. It also is pretty old-fashioned. That's the way it would have seemed to people my parents' age at the time would have gone uh, absolutely to see The Graduate. And they would have stood in a line that went around the block to see it. And uh, Caprice, ah, right? they probably would not have... made a special effort to see that movie. Now, now what's interesting to note is that this film was directed by Mr. Frank Tashlin. Now, Frank Tashlin wrote and drew a syndicated comic strip between 1934 and 38. This was based on his old boss, and his first job was running errands for a animation company. It was Mr. Max Fleischer at their studio in New York City's Times Square. Now, uh, Mr. Tashlin wrote and illustrated four children's books from 1946 to 52, and he was one of few directors to successfully make the transition from animation to live action. Now, uh, some of his compatriots have uh, stated that uh, he directed his cartoons like live action films and his live action films like cartoons and... It just Man. fit right in with the 60s because there were many vivid pops of color. I mean, uh, you have Doris Day in her snow bunny outfit, and it's just this brilliant daffodil yellow, which I think might have been one of her signature colors of that time frame. And it, it she had a cape, and it was... It was quite the spectacle. <laughs> Let's talk more about um, the fashions of this movie in a, in a second. But to wrap up the director, um, uh, he did uh, a lot of the early Warner Brothers cartoons. He did a lot of Porky Pig. He only did two Bugs Bunnies, but it was back when Bugs Bunny was really screwy. Mm-hmm. And they were. he did a lot of, of, of that stuff, directing the cartoon. And um, like DJ said, he he made his way eventually into movies. And uh, he directed um, and also wrote 
a, a number of movies for uh, um, the, the 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 one of the main. He had the uh, team up with the the singer Jerry Lewis. Good heavens! Oh, okay, yes. He wrote, he, he uh, directed uh, quite a few of his movies and also wrote uh, a couple of them as well. And he uh, also was. Uh, directing Bob Hope and a few of his 60s comedies. And Bob Hope was having the exact same problem here, is that Hollywood was going somewhere else, and Bob Hope was still making movies the old way. <clears throat> and uh, the 60s saw the end of both Bob Hope's career in movies as well as Doris Day, uh, because they just saved as old-fashioned by to see movies which were young people. Mm-hmm. So as- he, he was directing a lot of comedies at the time, and and really, uh, he, he directed Cinderfella. That's one of the ones um, he did uh, around the time of Caprice. And let me just get a couple of these others out, because we know some of them. The Geisha Boy, 58 Cinderfella, Snow White and the Three Stooges. Cool. Uh, Gidget, <laughs> uh, will success spoil Rock Hunter? So it's kind of his forte was the were these uh, light comedies, light breezy comedies. And uh, um, one of the films that Frank Tashlin did was a Jerry, Jerry Lewis film in '63 called "Who's Minding the Store," and that also stars a Caprice cast member, Mr. Ray Walston. Ah, uh, yeah. So he's the uh, <clears throat> I don't know of this Caprice movie, and uh, he has a good time. And what do we know? Uh, that actor from DJ? Certainly. Well, Mr. Ray Walston is most well-known from being on the uh, the comedy Mr. Uh, or I'm sorry, My Favorite Martian. Now, uh, Ray Walston ended his three-season run on My Favorite Martian just the year before Caprice. He had had three other TV roles that year. And he was a winner of a Tony Award for the musical Damn Yankees about baseball. Uh, he also had two Emmys for a later series, I think in the 90s, Picket Fences. And, then, and I got to say about Picket Fences, loved that show. Uh, it didn't get nearly enough credit for being as good as it was. But I'll tell you what, remember Ray Walston in it at all. <laughs> and yet he won two Emmy Awards for his role. He sure did. Now he as, al- I don't know who. Right. He also held a top secret security clearance for a while as he was narrating Operation Hardtack. And this was a series of reports for the U.S. military for the development of nuclear weapons. That was odd. Of course, he's very famous for playing Mr. Han in Fast Time at Ridgemont High. Oh, yes. He loved him in the TV uh, miniseries uh, The Stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, a character in that and uh, he worked right up to the end i mean he's one of those actors that uh, just kept working and it, it was uh in an interview i read about mr walston he said that uh, he regretted doing my favorite martian because he had always considered himself to be a theater actor and he said that uh, you don't know how limited you are by the roles you play until you're on vacation somewhere abroad and someone recognizes you and their high to you is doing the little fingers behind your head. Kind of like doing the bunny ears when you take a group photo. 
and instead they're wingling their fingers like their Martian antenna. He, yeah, he did regret it. It was actually fast times at Ridgemont High that endeared him to so many young people at the time, and he was so happy because now people would walk down the street and say, "Hey, Mr. Hands," and. <laughs> You know, everybody had by then had forgo- forgotten my friend the Martian. <laughs> you know, I have to say that even though everybody brought their own talents to Caprice, I think that Ray Walston might have been the bright spot, meaning that he had the most interesting character. I think that maybe he got to put the most energy into that role. You know, he was an eccentric sort of mad scientist type, and... Um, he liked to keep things uh, under his control. I mean, uh, um, Doris Day's character of Patricia has been recently hired by this cosmetics company of May Fortune, and uh, she's kind of a double agent now. The beginning of the film has her being arrested in France, and she's being brought up on charges for corporate espionage, but then she's promptly thereafter recruited and it's by Mr. Edward Mulhair. Now, Mr. Mulhair had roles in three TV series that year in 67. He would also appear later on in a role that was originated by Mr. Rex Harrison, who was in Dr. Doolittle and also My Fair Lady. And he portrayed Rex Harrison's character in the TV version of The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. And uh, that ran for three seasons. And let's see, he also, uh, a couple of decades later, would later be known as uh, David Hasselhoff's boss in in 1982's Knight Rider, which ran for four seasons. It did. It did. (laughs) So, but uh, yeah, uh, in Caprice, Doris Day is a corporate spy, and Ray Walston is the brilliant, as they say in Europe, chemist. He's the man with all the secrets to all the successful beauty products that's keeping the May Fortune Company uh, in the black on the on the stock market. You know, uh, they're the the hot ticket, and so um, they've task Doris Day with finding out what the secret formula is for this new product. Now, do you remember what that new product was, Toppy? It was a, a formula for hair that would keep your hair dry even if you went swimming. Yes, and now as, as Hubby plainly put it, it was basically Aquanet. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> now, there was a little bit of diversity going on in this film. And, you know, when you think of movies in the 50s and the 60s, depending on the setting, you don't really have a lot of diversity in the cast. A lot of it is just, you know, middle America. You possibly have a, a blonde beach-going, uh, golden brown tanned lady who is the damsel in distress. And the dark-haired gentleman is the one in pursuit. But, you know, in the office setting in this uh, film, it was set overseas. It was set in Paris. And so you, you had a bit more going on with the, with the uh, office environment there. Do you remember the types of people that you saw on the, on the scene? Well, there were um, there were a lot of uh, ladies who were models, um, and they uh, just happened to include uh, more 
uh, women uh, that uh, didn't weren't necessarily just uh, white, so they were choosing people of and um, I think the you know they were trying for an international look. Yeah, exotic. Right, and unlike most of the you know the the uh, the beach going movies of the day, you don't have these bronzed bodies, and you don't have you know the typical blonde girl on the beach there in the bikini. But you have a bit of diversity there because it looked like there may have been some women of Hispanic descent, possibly Middle Eastern, and. You have sort of the villainous character of the film, a lady that I like to call the mystery woman, which was interesting because she was the, well, assistant, but they say the word secretary to Ray Walston's character, the chemist. And she was a lady of Asian descent, and she was kind of an interesting character to follow around because, you know, the, the, uh, the chemist, he's kind of a playboy type, but then you, you follow her through the scenes of the film and you find out, that's not her boyfriend. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, there is a scene where Doris Day goes out and follows the mystery woman because this girl, being the uh, assistant to the chemist, has access to the secret formula, which is under lock and key. And when Doris visits the lab at May Fortune, She's dismayed to see that there have been measures taken to protect the formula. What kind of measures did you remember from that scene, Toppy? Uh, I'm not sure I do. So, oh so my goodness, there, there, there was a computer, and there was an electronic eye, which of course we know nowadays is just a sensor. Oh, yes, I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> and boy, did those computers look uh, modern. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had their own version of NASA mission control right there behind the wall. <sighs> uh, that was all part of the the secret agent kind of stuff by stuff and uh you know they tried to make it look very contemporary yeah that was that was interesting and uh of course doris is is uh given a demonstration of the security protocols by the, the chemist and she goes to walk towards the the computer console where Apparently, the formula would spit out before her eyes on a punch card and uh, <laughs> a, a wall just automatically lowers from the ceiling in, uh, you know, the kind of scene that you would see in later TV shows like Get Smart. Um, let's talk now. Let's get in briefly, but but specifically into the, the look of the film, the sets, and especially costumes, uh, the uh, the uh, fashions of this movie, which was a, a big part of it, the fashions, um, and especially especially what Doris Day was wearing throughout the movie. I don't know how many dresses she wore in this movie, but there were a lot. Oh, yes. It, it uh, seemed almost like every scene she had something different on. Now, not even 10 minutes into the film and her character who has just been picked up basically from the police station for being found out that she was undercover uh, she's she's being relocated they've they've dumped out her apartment on her but uh you know the the beginning of this film shows a uh, a hot pursuit scene someone is running down the slopes of this uh, the ski resort, the uh, the Alps, and they have this terrific outfit on that you will see here later in, and it's just, it looks like something that someone today would wear, like, 
parasailing where you, you're thrill seeking and you're jumping off and you're hoping to catch air and you spread your arms out and suddenly part of your outfit becomes a sail. Ah, which didn't happen, but that's what it looked like. Yes, and uh, of course, she wore yellow as part of that. It's kind of, I, I, don't, I can't be for sure, but I want to say Doris Day was known for wearing cheerful outfits and that yellow might have been one of her signature quote-unquote colors. Um, I think that's very possible. She was certainly known as being cheery and looking cheerful and story. Um, I would say the other big influence fashion-wise, certainly uh, Jackie O., Mm-hmm. Hats. Uh, there were a lot of hats um, that Doris Day would wear, um, and a, f- a lot of tall boots, and uh, uh, polka dots, um, and uh, eyeshadow, and false eyelashes. Oh, yes, and the eye makeup at the time, too, was certainly uh, distinctive. In those days, they were doing a technique known as the doe eye, where it basically looks like a pair of wingtips in the corner of your eye. Mm-hmm. So that was very popular in 67 when this film came out. I'm sorry, I have to interrupt because I just realized our friend, uh, the ever-mysterious Cronehaven, got into the chat room tonight. Oh, excellent. In several times. Times and I guess you finally made it. So welcome, Crone. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> A round of applause for Crone. So uh, wonderful. I'm sorry I interrupted. Please. Oh, that's quite all right. It was a moment of excitement. So uh, we have uh, the styles and the fashions of the late '60s there, and this was sort of a mix-up of of things because uh, you know while certainly women weren't in as many leading roles where they were going to be the corporate spy because that was you know the the vein of the 007 films, which is kind of what Richard Harris was trying to be was a Bond type but uh, his leading lady was the star so it was kind of muddled there. Now I'd like to say that if if somebody were brave enough to try to remake this nowadays that those Good heaven. <laughs> that those lines might be a little more blurred but uh, you know although uh, as a film this didn't have a high box office return it's thoroughly enjoyable from its campiness I mean in the trailer they talk about swinging and you just you just laugh when you see the bed because it's a deliberate attempt at a joke. She's introduced to the uh, the Playboy's bedroom, and there's this bed, this platform bed that's suspended from the ceiling, and it has these very Art Deco-ish looking sort of chains holding it there. And I'm not sure that there's much weight at all because it clearly is shimmying in the air, and she's like, oh, does it swing? <laughs> yeah, and of course she's in bed with uh, Richard Harris, and uh, you know there, there it, it's no nudity at all, but it's it's all implied, and um, uh, and you know it's supposed to you know think of James Bond the way um, his character would woo the women, and that's kind of what Richard Harris was doing here. <laughs> Here, except us with Doris Day, and uh, I don't know, it kind of works. But by the way, you know, I just want to say, and I had a chance to view this movie together. Usually, we we don't have that opportunity, but we watched. 
Christmas, and uh, it, it, it was kind of a treat. We really laughed a lot. I my mouth mouth fell open quite a bit, and I was just all sorts of amazed and uh, delighted uh, by its weird uh, mix of uh, fashion and satire and uh, slapstick and action and so a delightful movie that I think is appreciated much much more today than it was when it came out I would absolutely say that this movie you know kind of has a bit but it's got a bit of a cult following mm, and uh, you know I, I mentioned when we drew this uh, this uh, stroke of good luck here that uh, I was turned on to this film by the former podcasting hostess with the most uh, Wanda Wisdom nowadays known as Bradley Trainer, her man half I could totally see a lot of the scenes in this film reenacted by a drag queen, and I think that that would just be terrific if that were to be done, even okay. as a fan film. Actually, that that would be the way to remake this. Um, it would totally work. <laughs> a famous drag queen. And uh, um, I hope we get to see this story, possibly, or at least uh, maybe Crone can write a letter about it, but she says in the chat room that uh, one time... Uh, she did run into Doris Day. Oh. We can find out something about that, um, either uh, in a, a coming episode or, or possibly, but um, we're, we're uh, approaching uh, the end of an hour. We sure are, so... Um... I, I just want to say that, uh, you know, I think you folks would enjoy watching this. Yeah, now we we uh, we are rounding the end of the show, and we like to talk about this point. You know, if you enjoyed this film, uh, there might be some other things that you might like. So we call this "What's on Your Snack Tray." Now, uh, did you have a, a, a opportunity to think about what else you might recommend on the note of this film? This film trying to do what a nineteen sixty three movie did much 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 better <laughs> mm-hmm. um uh, i think that trying very hard to be another with audrey hepburn and cary grant hmm. it was trying hard uh charade came out in 63 uh of my all-time favorite movies ever 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 and uh, it was trying hard okay uh any any other recommendations from that period of time you know, I would check out Casino Royale, really a spy spoof, and um, uh, think of it the moment. Okay, so for me, uh, the 60s put a, a few things into mind, and if you're in the mood for something in the late 60s, I might recommend another film from 67, which of course starred Jane Fonda that started off the Matinee Minutia series, in Barefoot in the Park, which also had Mr. Robert Redford. And uh, a couple of other things that I would recommend from that time frame is in 67, there was also a film with Dick Van Dyke and everyone's favorite space princess's mother, Debbie Reynolds, in Divorce American Style. And uh, Now that you mentioned um, Debbie Reynolds, mm-hmm. is... Uh, uh, I think 
ever met each other or were friends, but I, I think Debbie Reynolds' career and Doris Day's career, especially music-wise and singing-wise, paralleled. They both came on the scene around the same time. They were both young and considered girls next door. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, Doris Day parlayed into her career uh, than Debbie Reynolds, but uh, they're definitely contemporaries. I found that interesting. And uh, just to finish off my recommendations for 67, because I like to put a little bit of everything into my snack bag, uh, Disney's original Jungle Book was released in 1967. Now, much to my surprise, and uh, you might understand this, Toppy, I always thought that the voice of the orangutan in Jungle Book, King Louie, I always thought for some reason that that was voiced by Scatman Crothers, the handyman star of The Shining with Jack Nicholson, but it wasn't. It was voiced by a big band leader from New Orleans, the King of Swing jazz musician Louis or Louis Prima. So uh, he was a big band era leader and you can find quite a lot of his material out there on various streaming services. So, well, mm-hmm. folks... You, you also... You should add uh, uh, in your notes, mm-hmm. I, th- I thought this was interesting, a more contemporary kind of spy movie with a couple uh that that uh successfully in the new hollywood era was fun with dick and jane i don't Mm -hmm. or did you mention that did you mention that i don't think i did i know that there's been a more recent remake no no, not that right right i understand the original Uh, jane fonda and who else who was in that george seagal yeah there you go It, it was just you know another movie that i would say is is in the genre of of caprice uh, but a more updated version mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely it was a that uh, was a fun film i've seen that one as well all right toppy well um we want to go ahead and uh, thank our listeners for joining us tonight and we're going to give you a a hint as to what's coming down the pike. We have this gumball machine in the lobby of the theater here, and we have a bag of coins that were left by a magician who used to perform here. So this is kind of like part uh, lightning rod and part mood ring and a part magic eight ball. Let's go ahead and get those coins out here. Okay, the capsule landed over there, Toppy. Could you grab that for me? I'm, I'm going to get it. And uh, All right, here we go. It's a movie, but it was made for TV. But it was also released overseas as a theatrical. But it is uh, a wonderful made-for-TV movie called Dual Weaver. was one of the very first projects project that a very young Steven Spielberg directed. Hmm. About Duel next time. So next time on Matinee Minutia, and that will be in two weeks, so join us again on Friday, May 17th at 9pm Eastern. We'll be discussing the 1973 Steven Spielberg TV film Duel. Yes, indeed. Alrighty, folks. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. 
say goodnight, Gracie. Yes, uh, uh, goodnight, everybody. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Crone. Uh, thank you, Spanky, uh, for, for showing up, and uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our program is live every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Go to univazpods.net. Click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.